Today I want to talk to us about our victory in Christ, the victory over the powers of darkness. As I said, this is a topic that the devil really doesn't want us to look at. And so I would encourage you to open your Bibles there on Colossians 2 verse 15 and pray that the Lord, as you listen, helps you to not only hear the word of God, but to apply it uh, to your life. We are looking at this verse because, of course, we've been going through Colossians and we've come to this verse. Uh, over the last three Sunday mornings, we've looked at verse 8 to verse 14, which has taught us that all true followers of Christ are complete in Christ. We have everything we need in Christ. Verse 8 to verse 10 particularly emphasizes that. God has made us his people and he has given us a brand new life in Christ, free from the penalty and power of sin. And he has done this by uniting us with Christ in his death and in his resurrection through our faith union with Christ. We've learned that we died with Christ when Christ died. We've learned that we were buried with him when he was buried in the tomb. And we learned that we were risen with Christ. And the messages, if you've missed some of those messages, uh, we have those messages online. So we've spent some time unpacking verse 8 to verse 14. Now, another way in which Christ has made us complete is that we are no longer slaves of the evil supernatural powers. We have triumphed over them in Christ. And this is the main truth in verse 15 there. Let me just read it for us. He, that is God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, that is Christ. Now there are two important truths we learn from this passage, which I just want to share with you, which, which are on your outline. The first truth is this. The world is occupied by evil supernatural powers. That's the first truth. The world is occupied by evil supernatural powers. You know, one of the questions that has fascinated humanity over the last 200 years concerns the possibility of extraterrestrial life. Are we alone in the universe? Ever since the Western world abandoned what the Bible teaches us about the origin of life and turned to evolution, we have become obsessed with the idea that there may be alien life on other planets in the vast cosmos. The world, of course, is spending billions, isn't it, uh, every year on pointless projects searching for extraterrestrial life. I say it is pointless because, well... Pointless and strange, because the Bible has already told us that we are not alone. We live in an enchanted world, a, world, a universe of powers beyond our imagination. I believe in the existence and activity of the devil and his demonic spirits. I believe in that. I believe in their existence. I believe in their activity on earth. I believe we are in a battle against them. I believe we are in a battle against the principalities and powers every day. 
I believe that because the Bible tells me so. Throughout the Bible, it tells me so, and I'll show you in a minute. But it tells us so, especially in verse 15. He, that is God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. The rulers and authorities there is not talking about the government, governments on earth, no. Paul is talking about the angelic entities that Christ created at the beginning of the universe. And Paul has already mentioned these entities, hasn't he? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 there, if you glance that we looked at that verse. That he created all rulers and authorities, dominions and thrones, Paul describes there in Colossians 1, verse 16. Now, some of these supernatural beings that Christ has created have rebelled against Christ. They are now evil and hostile against God and against you, against humanity. They hate you to the bone. In fact, they hate everything about your life. And especially if you're a follower of Christ, they hate you deeply because you are now in Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, which we looked at, and chapter 2 and, and verse 20, which we'll look at in a few weeks' time, Paul calls these hostile powers elemental spirits of the world. That is to say, these evil entities are at work in the world promoting evil in the world we live in. Now, Paul does not go into detail here, in Colossians, in fact, or even in this verse, about these evil spiritual beings. I think part of the reason, I think, is because Paul, the Colossians, I suspect, already add uh, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, which some believe may have been written to the church at Laodicea. So there may be the letter reference in this, in this book. We don't need to get into that, but I think they would have had access to other letters that Paul had written, I think. But also they lived in the world in which this issue was well understood. It's not like us today. And so I think if Paul was preaching to us now, he would remind us of, first of the letter to, to he wrote to the Ephesians, wouldn't he? He would say to us, Paul, what do you mean by these evil the rulers and authority? He would say, well, go read chapter 2 and chapter 6 uh, of Ephesians. And particularly focus on Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10 to 12. Let's just read that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12, which gives us more data, if you like, on these demonic powers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then Paul says this in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, there they are again, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now today, and maybe you may be in this camp, today our society treats the devil as a joke or a myth. Perhaps when I mention the demonic powers, you may even have you know, laughed quietly inside. But Paul is saying here that the devil is real and is a dangerous fallen angel who lives to do evil in the world and specifically in your life. 
The devil rules this fallen world with an iron fist. It is his dark domain. He exerts complete power and control over the entire world. In fact, that hymn just reminded you, we just sang, just underlined that hymn 388, particularly the first verse of that hymn. In, with him, there is no equal on earth. Speaking of Satan, he exerts complete control. The world, in fact, is his invisible spiritual prison. And Paul perhaps would also remind us, if he was preaching to us today, of 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. He would say, the Apostle John has already talked to you about this. He says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world, without exception, lies in the power of the evil one. The Apostle John is saying, everything in this fallen world... Politics, economics, religion, science, education, it is all under an evil totalitarian system run by Satan. Now, the devil is only one person, right? He is a finite creature. He's not God. He's just a creature like all of us. Great and powerful, but still a creature. So how is the devil able to do this? He's not in every place. Well, he's able to do this because he's not alone. And this is the point when you go back to Colossians 2, verse 15. The rulers and the authorities, Paul mentions there, these are, if you like, the way Satan does his work in the world. They are the arms, legs, and feet of Satan in the world. The devil is running a powerful organization with a clear sense of order, a clear sense of ranking. He has rulers, authorities, Cosmic powers, spiritual forces. And in fact, when you read Revelation, you notice that God, of course, has a sense of ranking among his angelic beings. You know, you've got the elders around the throne and so forth. What seems to be the case is that Satan, after he rebelled against God, simply kept his system, kept the divine system. But all evil, right? He tries to mimic God. And of course, in Revelation, we see Satan particularly not only mimicking the angelic order of God, but he mimics the Trinity. He, he, you got the devil, the Antichrist, and the, the prophet, and he's got this evil Trinity going on in Revelation. So we must remember that we are, when we talk about the devil, we are talking about not just the devil, one person, we are talking about an evil empire. The empire of the devil is not omnipotent, but it is powerful. It is deadly, and it is vast. It is vast because if we take some of the biblical understanding by some of the scholars, they remind us, of course, that one reading of Revelation is that the devil fell away with a third of the angelic beings. So the devil runs an evil, deadly, vast, and powerful empire. And all the demonic forces are focused on keeping you enslaved to Satan if you are not a believer. Yeah. That's their job. Why are you not converted at the moment? Well, one answer is that you are in Satan's cage. And until Christ frees you from the strong man by his Holy Spirit, you remain caged in that. 
Now, I'm emphasizing this truth because many Christians today do not want to talk about the reality of the demonic realm. We are suspicious of such talk. We have relegated it to the Charismatics and Pentecostals. We think, us in the Reformed tradition, we don't have to worry about this. We think such talk is from the jungle. It is not culturally, it's Chola talking village talk again, where he was born. It is not culturally sophisticated. It is medieval, you might think. It lacks intellectual respectability. It's not so forward thinking. That's what, you know, many of us, that's our thought process. We live in a technological age, so we scorn over such truths. I fear that because of such attitude, churches today are filled with people who have opened the door very wide to these evil supernatural powers. And I believe we can explain a lot of what is going on with many people in, their, in our churches is that they are under the debilitating and so numbing power of the evil forces. I honestly believe that. I honestly believe it is at the heart of our prayerlessness. It is at the heart of our lack of eagerness to sit under the word. In fact, I believe it's why people sometimes fail to even concentrate when the word of God is preached. I believe this is at the heart of why the word of God, wherever the word of God is being preached by pastors, the word of God being preached in its full power is being opposed. I don't believe that's human at all. I believe that the devil is at work more in this age than he has ever worked because the time is short. Beloved, we will never make sense of what is going on in our lives and the world today without taking into account the reality of Satan and his demonic servants. Just as we cannot understand Russia without understanding Putin and the oligarch in Russia, we cannot explain the world without these evil spiritual powers. It's a staff of fantasy to think you can understand the world without taking this important data point, huge data point, into account. Every follower of Christ has three great enemies at war against us. Our sinful nature, the world system, and the devil and his demonic infrastructure. And for you to understand what's going on in your life, you need to take these three key enemies into account. And Paul here is particularly focusing on the third enemy, isn't it? He's reminding us not to forget that we are up against evil powers. Your children are up against evil powers. Your wife is up against evil powers. Your husband is up against evil powers. The prime minister is up against evil powers. The international order is up against evil powers. And until you truly believe this truth, beloved, you cannot live a fruitful Christian life. Believe in this truth. I don't mean just hearing it, but taking it on board is foundational to living a healthy Christian life. Until you believe that this truth you continue to struggle to defeat temptations. You forget that giving into temptations is dancing with the evil powers. 
Until you believe this truth, you continue to allow the devil to sow lies into your life, to steal the truth of God, and to blind you to all sorts of, with all sorts of false teaching. Until you believe this truth, you allow yourself to be used by the chief slanderer, Satan, and his evil powers to slander God and slander his church. Until you believe this truth, you lack peace. You lack peace when these demonic powers frustrate your work for God. You give in to their attempt to steal your joy and peace. You do that because you want to understand why it's happening, that the devil is at war against you. Until you believe this truth, you will foolishly allow the demonic forces to have a satanic foothold in your life and in the lives of people you care about. Until you start taking this truth seriously, that the world is occupied by evil spiritual powers, you won't appreciate the gospel. And especially, you won't appreciate the good news of this passage. The good news of this passage is that though the world is occupied by the evil supernatural powers, is that all true followers of Christ have triumphed over the supernatural power. And that's the second truth we learn here, isn't it? The first truth is that the world is occupied by evil supernatural powers. The second truth is the good news. Is that God in Christ has defeated the evil powers for us. Not for him, but for us in Christ. Now one of the things, that's the second truth. Now one of the things you notice quickly as you read through the Bible from cover to cover. Have you done that, right? If you've done that, not once, just read, read or listen to it on audio or, or something like that. The U version app or Bible is or something. You listen to it cover to cover, right? Uh, or you just spend time through the year reading it, but you do it maybe a couple of times. One of the things that you quickly notice is that there is a battle raging on every page of the Bible. Have you noticed that? There's a battle raging on every page of the Bible. And it is between God and the evil supernatural powers. Now, sometimes the powers are hidden behind physical idols or figurines that people are worshipping. But the powers are there, right? And sometimes they are out in the open, challenging God in ways that even shock us when you read through the Bible. They are possessing animals, doing strange things. They are possessing people. And they're even enjoying human pleasures as they wage war on God. We first meet these evil powers in the Garden of Eden, don't we? In form of the serpent who tempts Adam and Eve to rebel against God our Creator. They're in the days of Noah, aren't they? Trying desperately to corrupt, and I think most likely trying to end the human race through sexual practices with women. They're there. We meet them again in Egypt as Pharaoh's magicians and shamans, Janus and Jambres, line up against Moses with all manner of evil magic. It's shocking. Snakes, serpents, and all that. The devilish powers appear again, don't they, in the book of Job. That they destroy all his property and even take the life of his children. And they torment him with illness. A godly man. A Christ man. We meet them again in King Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, don't we? 
As Nebuchadnezzar calls upon the enchanters and the magicians for help when he's terrified in the vision. And as we read Daniel, we notice that they are there in the prophecies of Daniel, in the prophecies of Isaiah, in the prophecies of Ezekiel. We hear about them declaring our ascent on high and be like the Most High. We certainly meet them in Obadiah, which we studied. And then we fast forward, because we can be there the whole day. So we fast forward, we've skipped Saul and the witch of Endo. We just fast forward, right? We come to the New Testament. And it's like the gates of hell have been opened wide. We have a real crescendo of satanic activity in the New Testament. There is demon after demon trying to battle the king of glory. As they are now sensing that their terrible defeat is at hand. And of course we could linger there and then jump to Acts and we, we meet them there again in that little girl who's running after Paul and, and Paul is forced to turn around and rebuke the demon out of her. And of course we just fast forward don't we, to the end of the book, right? What happens when we get to Revelation? There it is, the final book. We meet the full revelation of evil, don't we? The evil trinity I talked about. The devil, the antichrist, the prophet. And, and, and you've you got a whole army there of locusts. And all kinds of demonic activity. The devil is doing all of this supported by cosmic powers. They are, in Revelation, they are murdering the saints of God right, left, and center. And the Bible tells us they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. But they've been martyred. And we, we, we encounter the souls in Revelation before the throne of God crying out, How long, O oh Lord? Why are they crying out? Because they've been murdered by the evil one. And of course, in the end, they are in Revelation, they battle God. They battle Christ, don't they? And of course they lose. Why have they lost? Because they've already lost at Calvary. What am I saying here? I'm saying the Bible is a story of the defeat of these powers. And Paul here in this verse 15 summarizes the triumph of God over these powers. Look at verse 15 again. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In him. I just want to first of all say, who is he? He is God. It is God who has disarmed the evil powers. What does it mean that he has disarmed the evil powers? Well, the original word means to take off or to strip off. God has undressed the powers publicly. God has stripped them of their power and prestige. They are now dressed in shame. The holy angels are looking at them and they're saying, what has happened to you? Now, when has God done this? Well, it's in verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Some translation says, in it. That is, in the cross. It means the same thing. The conclusions are the same. It is in Christ, in the death of Christ, that God triumphed over the evil powers. And what does it mean that by triumphing over them? What does it mean by this word triumphing? Well, the original word means to march in triumphal procession. The image Paul has in mind here is that triumphal procession which was held by the Roman emperors when they were celebrating their victory over their enemies. 
Basically, what the emperor did was that he led out a cortege of the defeated enemies. And among the cortege was the king there who had been defeated, right? And all of Rome, as it were, would stand by and would boo and shame those who had been defeated. And what he's saying to us here, God has done that. God has done that to the evil powers. He's already done that on the cross. When our Lord Jesus died on the cross, God defeated and shamed the evil powers that opposed him. This is the secret wisdom of the cross, we might say. When we look at the death of Christ on the cross, it looks like the devil has won, doesn't it? It looks like he has killed Christ in naked shame. And he has danced, as it were, on his grave. But Paul is saying it's the other way around. By shaming Christ, the evil powers shame themselves. By defeating Christ, in killing him, they defeated themselves. When we look at the cross, we are not staring at defeat. We are looking at God in Christ, triumphing over the hostile evil powers forever. He disarmed Strip them off. The rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. These who had Christ crucified naked now ashamed to the entire universe by triumphing over them in him that is Christ. And so we have that truth, isn't it? God in Christ has defeated these evil powers. But why has God done that? Why is Paul telling us this truth? Why is he telling the Colossians this? Well, he wants them and us, who are true followers of Christ, to know that we now share in this triumph over these evil powers. Because all followers of Christ, remember what we've been learning for the last two messages, that we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. We have a union with Christ through faith. Now Paul comes to this truth and says, in light of that union you have with Christ, know that you didn't just die with Christ and rise with Christ, you triumphed with Christ over these evil powers. Christ defeated them, not for himself, but for us. And so Luther is writing that hymn, isn't it? That we are facing a defeated foe. So what does Paul expect us to do with this truth? The truth is, God in Christ has defeated these powers for us. We have triumphed over them. What does Paul expect us to do with that truth? What practical implication does that truth have? Well, can I just share with you two practical implications, which are on your outline. First of all, be encouraged that you are now in Christ, triumphant over the evil powers. If you are a child of God, you are now triumphant over the evil powers. And you've got to let that sink in. Christ delivered a knockout punch against the evil powers on the cross, and the empty tomb now stands as our eternal monument to his victory for us. If you are a true follower, you share in this victory over the devil and demonic powers. Now, I know as you sit here this morning, you may be thinking to yourself, Chola, I don't feel so victorious. If Christ is victorious and I'm sharing in this victory, why does it feel like the devil is always harassing me? And, and why is he around anywhere? 
if he's defeated? Who is causing all of this evil that I've been experiencing of late? Well, the answer is that the evil powers have been truly defeated in Christ. You must never doubt what God has made plain in his word. But God has allowed them to roam around so that you can live out and experience and taste and see the victory of Jesus in your life. It is like this. The evil powers are, are being held on the leash by Christ. And you have, uh, as I call it, the privilege, if, as it were, of landing some holy blows against the evil powers. The evil powers can shout and frighten you, but they have been disarmed. They can't do any fatal damage to us in Christ. They are lions with no teeth, as we meet in Pilgrim's Progress. It's that image, isn't it? Lions with no teeth. But before God locks up the evil powers forever, what God is doing, you see, is giving us an opportunity to land some holy punches against them. To live out this victory in Christ. How does that work? Well, every time you say no to sin, you are living out the victory of Christ. When you say no to sin, you're saying the devil has no power over me. Every time you share the Lord Jesus Christ, you are celebrating that the gospel now can go on and save sinners because we have triumphed in Christ. This is why I love doing evangelism. When we go out there to share the gospel, we are at the front line of living out the victory. It's such a privilege to share the good news of Jesus with others because we are routing Satan's defeated domain. We are enforcing the victory we have already won in Christ. Now, I know you, are, you may be thinking, Sherlock, I hear you, but I wish I felt like you. I really do. I have truly surrendered to Christ. And to be honest, I just don't feel victorious. Let me tell you about the week I've had. It's been hard. I can't see any victory in that week. To be honest, Sherlock, my, my work with Christ often feels like the government's war on terror, you might be saying. Right? One day I'm successful in one area, and then it crops up here, I suffer another defeat. Sometimes I feel like an hypocrite, you might say. Sometimes I doubt whether Christ is at work in my life at all. I am really struggling to see the triumph over evil. I understand that. And maybe as you hear this, you recognize that. Well, this is why this truth is so important, beloved. It's because precisely you feel like that, that you need to be reminded of this truth. Because this truth is saying, all true followers of Christ are victorious in Christ, not in us. We are victorious in Christ, not in us. The Bible is saying today, stop looking at yourself and your circumstances. Look at Christ. Take a closer look at him there on that brutal Roman cross. You are there with him. You died with him. Take a look at the empty tomb, the Bible says. It is empty. Christ is alive. Death cannot hold him. And because you are now alive with Christ, you are alive forever. Look at the empty tomb. That's the reality. And take a look at up there at the seat of heaven. Jesus is now sat there. We read in Ephesians 2. 
And you are there sat with him in the heavenly places, ruling and reigning with Christ in heaven. That's the reality. And you know what? If you keep looking at him, one of these days you shall see our Lord Jesus face to face. You will live with him in the new heavens and the new earth. One day the reign of the devil and his powers on earth will completely disappear. Because Revelation tells us that Jesus wins. One day there will be no more sin. No more pain. No more death. No more demon. This is the reality. If you are truly born again, if you are truly repented and are trusting in Christ. The reign of life we have in Christ our victor will come to its fullness. We will live with him forever. Beloved, if you are in Christ, this is your reality now. So as you live in this world of evil powers, be encouraged. No matter how much they harass you, they can never make you lose your life in Christ. They are not an existential or fatal threat to any true followers of Christ. You must never forget that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So, be encouraged that if you are truly born again, you have triumphed in Christ. And if you are not born again, I am so heartbroken for you. I can't imagine what it would be, what it feels like. It's a long time. I became a Christian at the age of 13, so I can't really remember how it feels like to live under the grip of Satan, to be his slave, to be without hope and without God in the world. And Christ here is offering you a route out of prison. Come to him this morning. Repent of your sin. You may be young or old, but if you haven't repented, you're still under the chains of darkness. And so you must make that right today. Escape the spiritual prison of Satan. Trust in the finished work of Christ. Today, repent. So, believers, be encouraged. Non-believers, come to Christ. Be free. Final point. The second thing we need to do is to actively resist the influence of the evil supernatural powers. We've got to say something about that. We don't say, about something about, we don't say about a lot about that. Because we are triumphant in Christ... We must now actively resist the influence of the supernatural powers over our lives and our families. Parents, hear me. Over our families. And this is the main point Paul wants to drive home in verse 15. The Colossians, you see, were in danger of allowing themselves to be influenced by these powers. And so Paul states at the beginning of chapter 1, no, don't be influenced by them. Why? Because Christ created them. Why would you not subject yourself to creatures? And it comes to chapter 2, don't let yourself be influenced by this. Why? Because don't let them take you captive with man-centered thinking. You are complete in Christ. And verse 20 is going to emphasize that. The point is, because you are victorious in Christ, you must actively resist the influence of these powers over our lives. You must resist them, not in your strength, but in the strength of God. That's Ephesians 6, isn't it? How do we resist them? I'll just suggest you resist them in two important areas in your life. There are two important things you must do. I actually have six. <laughs> but somehow I reduce them to two. 
So I might share. If you come and talk to me afterwards, I'll tell you the six. Um, I'm planning to write a notebook about this, this issue because I had the six. It's a, so it's such an important issue. Six areas, but I will use them to two. And there's just, I, I thought I forget. I, I focus on what I think is most urgent for you today. First, the evil powers are trying to tempt you with many sins. That's the first one. The first rule of Satan is temptation, isn't it? That's his main activity. You must actively resist temptation in your life. How do we resist temptation? Well, the answer is in Psalm 119, verse 9. This is a verse I always come back to every time. How can a young man keep his way pure and a young woman by guarding it according to your word? So I've heard the word in my, ma- in my heart that I might not sin against you, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ defeated the evil powers, you know, in the desert. How did Christ do it? Through the word of God. Trees which stand on top of a cliff must send their roots very deep. This world is a dangerous world for a believer. You need to be rooted in his word. For you to live as God wants you to live in this world, you must draw all your resources from outside this world by prayer and feeding on his word. The first step of a follower of Jesus backsliding is that they stop spending quality time with the Lord Jesus in his word. In the London Underground, we hear the phrase, mind the gap. Well, mind the danger in front of you. What is the danger? Well, Usually what we do is we check around, isn't it, to see what danger we are meant to mind. Well, what about your spiritual life? What does mind the gap look like? Are you minding the danger of living a life that is not consistently feeding on the word of God? If you are a true follower of Jesus, ask yourself today this question. Am I a believer of the word? Do I prize highly the preaching of the word in the church on Sunday? Am I making every effort to plug in to the Bible studies? And if they are not practical for you, are you you, you speaking to people now? To myself, Brother Ola, the elders and others, you know in the church, are you asking, how can I get more out of the word? I'm reading Chronicles and I find myself going like this. Falling asleep. Ah, what's going on there? Help me. I want to, I want to enjoy reading Chronicles <laughs> or Numbers. But I'm not, I, I never get those questions. I never get those questions. Never. And I think the answer is, beloved, we're not reading the Bible. Because if you're reading the Bible and you're serious about it, you'd want to ask more about how to get most out of it. But all of us should be inundated with requests for one-to-one Bible study. And I think we are there for that. If you're struggling with the Bible on your own, there's a particular book, elders in the church are there for, for that, to sit with you and read with you one-on-one if you're, you're available. My brother would agree. Have a chat with him. But go to him first. <laughs> now no, come to me as well, right? <laughs> Secondly, so... First of all, you know, being, you know, the word of God. Satan is trying to tempt you, and your answer is the word of God. The second thing is, the evil powers are working to oppress you. And this is so serious, and I know I've taken up quite a bit of time. 
But this is so important. The evil powers are working to oppress you. Now, you need to get this. It's important you understand this, because I think a lot of us misunderstand it. The devil cannot possess a true follower of Jesus. I know, I know there's debate around that issue, but I honestly believe, because of the doctrine of our union with Christ, the devil cannot possess a true believer. But I do believe the Bible teaches very clearly that the devil can exert a strong and continuous constant influence to debilitate the life of a believer. You can be spiritually oppressed by Satan. Even when you are born again. So we must make a distinction between possession and oppression. And demonic oppressions come through doubling with the demonic. It can happen without that, but by and large, if a believer opens them up, themselves up to the demonic, they can become spiritually oppressed. For example, if you are going to mediums, psychics, and necromancers, a believer shouldn't be found in such places, but sometimes believers do. That's playing with the demonic. Involving yourself in occultic practices like the Uja board, trances, astral travel, levitation, and all magic healings. Magic healings especially. Be careful who lays hands on you for healing. Those Catholic practices of holy water and such things are nothing more than conduits of the demonic. Be careful about that. Fortune telling. Young people, horoscopes. Doubling with the satanic, palm reading, crystal balls, tarot cards, use of the rod and pendulum, card laying and such practices. All these are roots of demonic oppression. Engaging in activities that empty your minds opens you to become seriously oppressed by Satan. Taking drugs. That's a root to the demonic. Practicing Eastern meditations. The meditations that, prom that, that promote the emptying of your mind. Things like yoga. Yoga is satanic, beloved. Transcendental meditation. Satanic. All these are roots to demonic oppression. And there are some practices we find in churches which are being promoted to channel the demonic. I'm thinking of things like visualization. Inner guys, which we find with a certain tradition of mysticism in the, early, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Middle Ages church. Non-Christian meditations, all of it, which have been important in the churches, roots of the demonic. Positive confession theology, which teaches we can create things, is satanic. Which says if you confess and confess more, things will happen. That is the root to demonic oppression. <coughs> it is actually rooted did you know I have a book called The Cross and the Serpent and I read in that book large volume right reading that book I discovered that it's actually rooted in Christian science and mind power witchcraft some deliverance ministries we see on televisions 
are nothing more than practice in witchcraft. It is dangerous, as I said, to allow satanic powers to lay hands on you. And so I, sometimes in our Christian lives, we carry things from the past, don't we? We carry practices that we must seize. In our homes, parents, there are things that accumulate. We must review our house, review what we have. We must be forensic about these things. We must repent of having engaged in such things and start afresh with Christ. As I said, the devil cannot possess you, but he can spiritually oppress you. So repent of that today and allow the Lord to give you victory. So to conclude then, and you'll be glad to hear I finished, we have learned two truths, right? The world is occupied by evil powers. And God in Christ has triumphed over for us in Christ, isn't it? So what does this mean? Well, we should be encouraged. Don't live in fear. Come on, daughter of the king. Why would you live in fear of demonic powers? But also, don't be naive. Actively resist the influence of the evil supernatural powers. And remember, we do this, all of this, not in our strength, but in the strength of Christ.